The Center for Disease Control called vaccinations one of the 10 great public health achievements in the United States during the 20th century. Benjamin Franklin's youngest son died of smallpox, and in his autobiography he lamented, quote, I long regretted bitterly and still regret that I had not given it to him by an inoculation. This I mentioned for the sake of parents who omit that operation on the supposition that they should never forgive themselves if the child died under it. My example showing that the regret may be the same either way, and that therefore the safer should be chosen. Close quote. You're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and joining me today at the Clinician's Roundtable is Dr. Joseph Bocchini. Dr. Bocchini is the professor and chairman of the Department of Pediatrics at the Louisiana State University Health Science Center in Shreveport and chair of the Committee on Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics. Today we are discussing Influenza 2007, Prevention, Protection, and Pondering Pandemic Flu. Welcome, Dr. Bocchini, and thank you for joining me at the Clinician's Roundtable. Thank you, Dr. Rutenberg. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to start off with an easy question. What are the recommendations for the influenza vaccine for the current 2007-2008 flu season? Well, the uh, recommendations have not changed substantially from last year. The recommendations are to immunize those individuals who are at increased risk for influenza uh, in addition to specific age groups as well. For pediatricians, the recommendation is that all children from six months to 59 months of age should receive influenza vaccine. And in part, that recommendation was made because the younger children, the children under two, have a significant likelihood of being hospitalized as a result of influenza. So they suffer significant complications. In fact, their hospitalization rate is even greater than older adults for whom the vaccine has been recommended for years. In addition, the children from 24 to 59 months of age have a significant risk of outpatient requirements, including visits to the doctor's office, to the emergency department, or to other acute care centers, an increase in the utilization of antibiotics during influenza season. So the recommendation was made for this group to reduce the outpatient burden for these children. In addition to those children, all individuals who have a number of chronic diseases are recommended for routine immunization uh, against influenza. Now, these include individuals uh, who have underlying uh, metabolic disorders, such as diabetes, individuals who have chronic pulmonary disorders. A very important group would be individuals who have asthma and other uh, chronic pulmonary diseases, uh, such as cystic fibrosis. In addition, uh, patients with renal disease, chronic liver disorders, and individuals who are immune suppressed should also receive influenza vaccine each year. Adults over 50 years of age, uh, irregardless of whether they have an underlying medical condition, should also be immunized with influenza vaccine each year. It's also important for us to recognize that those individuals who are healthy but in contact with individuals who fit into one of these categories where they require influenza vaccine should also be immunized because those healthy individuals potentially could carry influenza back into the home or into other areas of contact with those individuals. So in particular for children, parents, older siblings who are healthy, individuals who serve in daycare centers and other areas where younger children would go should also be immunized with influenza vaccine. One of the icons 
of pediatrics to me was Sidney Gellis. And I remember him saying that the one treatment a pediatrician should offer adults, the parents of their patients, is the influenza vaccine. Do you agree with that? Yes, I think Dr. Gellis, as usual, was correct. I think that's extremely important. It's particularly important for children under six months of age. This vaccine is not licensed for children under six months. So the only way to protect the newborn infant or the young child under six months of age is to surround them with a layer of protection by immunizing their parents and older siblings, grandparents, and any other provider who would be in close contact with them. Has the period of time during which the immunization should be offered to patients, has that been extended? It has. It's a, that's a very important point. Although our goal is to attempt to immunize individuals in October through November, this would be the best time to precede the uh, influenza season as well as uh, allow ample time for antibody response. We know that the influenza season is quite prolonged and may even in some years not peak until March or uh, April and in occasional cases out to May. So it's very important that if you're unable to immunize an individual before the season that you continue to immunize those individuals throughout the season because if there is a late outbreak of influenza, you may still be able to protect that individual. So we should immunize throughout the entire influenza season. You mentioned that the seriousness of the influenza infections on infants, especially under the age two. Have we seen any changes in the complication rate in the very young child since the administration routinely of the pneumococcal conjugate vaccine? I know that pneumococcal pneumonia can be a serious morbidity or secondary infection in children with influenza. And I just wonder, have children fared better since they've been routinely immunized with the conjugate vaccine? They have. You're absolutely right. The incidence of systemic pneumococcal infections, which would include bacteremias and meningitis, as well as the incidence of pneumonia, uh, have all decreased since the introduction of a pneumococcal conjugate vaccine. In some cases, as much as 70% if we look at invasive disease such as bacteremia and meningitis. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and I'm speaking today with Dr. Joseph Bocchini. Dr. Bocchini is the chair of the Committee of Infectious Diseases of the American Academy of Pediatrics and is the chairman of the Department of Pediatrics at the Louisiana State University Health Sciences Center. We are discussing influenza vaccination 2007 and the coming pandemic flu. And since I brought that up in our station break, pandemic flu, we've been hearing about that for a number of years. Is this like waiting for Godot? It seems like the alert level is always being raised to orange, and yet it hasn't come. And where do you predict it to be in the future? The problem is that we can't really predict when it will come, but we can predict that it will come. We know that from the past history of influenza, that as a major change occurs in the antigen makeup of the organism and a large number of individuals then are not immune because of past experience, we will see a pandemic. And as you know, in the last century, there were three major pandemics. We can go back a number of additional centuries and have documented that a number of pandemics occurred in each century for which we have uh, historical data. So we know another pandemic is coming. We just don't know when. Right now, the level's at orange because uh, we do have a potential uh, organism that could serve as a pandemic influenza organism. We've seen H5N1 avian influenza spread throughout large segments of the world, infecting large numbers of birds, both wild and domestic. Uh, this organism is avian influenza, 
It is not pandemic influenza, but it has the potential of becoming the next pandemic influenza organism. That's why there's concern about this organism. However, whether this organism becomes the next agent responsible for pandemic influenza, we don't know. We do know that it would take a very small number of mutations uh, to change this organism into one that potentially could spread very effectively through the human population. And that's the step that has to occur before we'll see the next pandemic. So it could be this avian influenza, it could be a different influenza type, but we will see pandemic influenza sometime in the future. I've heard the terms antigenic drift and antigenic shift both mentioned. Are one of those or both of those mechanisms by which the avian influenza virus could infect humans in large numbers? They are, but uh, the most likely cause of a pandemic would be if we saw an antigenic shift. And by that, we mean that there's a major change in an antigenic determinant so that uh, a large segment of the population will not have seen that antigenic type uh, and therefore a large segment would then be at risk for development of disease when that organism enters the community. So an antigenic shift would be a change, for example, from a H3N1 virus or H3N2 virus to an H5 virus. So that means this is a major change in the antigenic nature of the organism. An antigenic drift is a mild change uh, so that the same type is, is present, but it has changed enough antigenically that people would likely develop influenza even if they've had influenza in previous years. Which is why it's important that we continue to get our annual influenza vaccine. That's a very good point. Annual immunization is very important because influenza routinely undergoes antigenic drift. And as it does, that new strain containing that antigen will produce disease. And, and actually, in the United States today, on average, 35,000 individuals die of influenza on an annual basis based on strains of influenza that routinely circulate. So the difference between seasonal influenza and pandemic influenza is a major change in antigen nature of the organism, which results in even more individuals being infected. Is there anything new in terms of thoughts on a different type of vaccine that might prevent future pandemics of influenza? Well, there's considerable work being done on vaccine development. One of the problems with our current vaccine development is it's a slow process. The vaccine is made in using eggs, and this is a very slow process and takes a significant amount of time, and that's why some years we experience delays in receiving the vaccine or may having it available. I heard about something called a matrix protein 2 vaccine, looking at conserved antigens of the virus. Is there any work going forward in that area? There is, and that would be a significant breakthrough because uh, right now our focus is providing uh, a vaccine that's against the specific hemagglutinin and neuraminidase types of influenza that are circulating. If we could develop a vaccine that would provide immunity against a antigen that would be universally found in influenza types, that would enable us to have a vaccine which would protect against any significant change, minor or major, within the organism. I saw today that there was a report from uh, University of Michigan School, the Center for the History of Medicine, where published in today's Journal of American Medical Association, says researchers believe quarantines may be the key to maintaining flu epidemic. Do you think that this is, may be something we're going to use as part of our preparedness for the next pandemic? It is. There has been a significant amount of effort to go back and determine 
what happened to various cities and communities during the 1918 influenza pandemic, because it's been known that uh, the attack rate in major cities in the United States varied significantly. And this article that you point to is a study which looked at the frequency of cases, the prevalence of cases, relative to what steps those communities took. It's very clear that those communities that started early, that uh, limited public contact, that closed schools, banned public meetings, changed work hours to try and reduce the number of contacts between individuals, had a much lower attack rate of influenza than those communities that took no steps. As our time has just flown by, I'd like to thank Dr. Joseph Bocchini, who has been our guest. We have been discussing influenza prevention and protection. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.